0: are we not the best of some friends already only in media hello and welcome again to the podcast that is only two places behind the Dallas stars in the disco central power rankings it's of course time to do a little stargazing it's been a bit Logan how are you
1: I am doing certainly better than the Dallas Stars are doing. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, they, they got a win over the weekend. Three-point weekend. <laughs> I mean,
1: the win came in a shootout.
0: So did the because, loss. Wait, no, they scored in overtime. Never mind.
1: Yeah. The, the win came <laughs> in a shootout from a player that we haven't seen in over a month. So if he hadn't been in the lineup... That would have been two losses in a row like that, that, that does not give me comfort in any way compared to, you know, the actual win. It's like, well, if we hadn't had Radulov, still would have been a loss. Great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's so there's a couple of things going on and it's hard to unparse and, and we're we're going to talk a little bit about so today's show for those of you scoring at home we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not the stars are crap um <laughs> big question mark there we're going to talk a uh, talk <laughs> Klingberg, cling talk and then we're going to talk a little bit about everyone's favorite playful sea creature jake ottinger and that's kind of where we're gonna where we're gonna wind up um on today's call so first i think you're right like you know the good and the bad of it is Dallas. Effectively, since I think we last spoke, they've played Chicago twice, played Columbus twice, and split, um, split those, and yeah. followed up a very exciting drubbing of Chicago with a very deflating loss to Chicago. Um, yeah. Then pulled a Dallas Stars classic, make the goalie look like a million bucks, um, lose an extra frame to Columbus, followed that with a. Make the goalie look like a million bucks, but they won in a shootout. Um, big to dos. Heinz is playing about half the time, they and they got Radulov back. So, yeah, are are is this what is this what what is this team? I I feel
1: like I've been put in a revolving door that that's been like turbocharged, and then I've been spit out and told to walk in a straight line, and and I'm just sitting here going like. No, you want the impossible. Like I, I don't know anymore with this team. That's the most frustrating part because they've only won what two and a half games ish, basically, since February first.
0: Yeah, they're three, and five, and two in their last ten, and one of those w- yeah. one of those three wins came by way of the shootout.
1: Exactly, and you know we're we're sitting here recording this on March sixteenth. Like that, that is no record to write home about, and I, I keep. Thinking this this team is terrible, right? The season off. This is just not going to go well. But then they, you know, have a dominant goaltending performance. They have players like Hintz and Radulov. But at the same time, their defense takes a walk in the park. You know, they, you know, they have just this, you know, inability to not fall over their own skates in any given game against Columbus. And Columbus are the definition of a dumpster fire this season from like the coaching on down. So the fact that like Dallas shows up and displays all of their weaknesses against Columbus and then still somehow makes it to the shootout because of the goaltending, it it makes it so much harder to get a read on this team. And I'm still very much in the camp of something is broken with the stars. And at this point, completely just dismantling and rebuilding might be the, the best option from like not 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 from a play like a like a roster standpoint, but from a logistics and like tactics standpoint, because something like this roster was in the Stanley Cup final six months ago. They know how to play hockey, but something has gotten broken since then, and it's the same players. So they just have to rebuild how they approach hockey to be able to get back to that and get out of this rut that they're in.
0: So I I agree with you, and I think that the difference that I would – and we touched on this during the last podcast. I think that the quibble that I would make is it's not the same players. So Dallas Dallas plays a low-event style, right? Bonus hockey – he has done a better job of activating the defense. It's it's more active than it was under Monty. But this is still a team that prefers to reduce chances versus trade chances. And I, I actually I, I I remain convinced that Dallas is actually a good team. They are a They're a peculiar team. And what I mean by that is the challenge they're having right now that they did not have in the postseason is when your skill players are healthy. You can play low chance hockey, and right. you can you can sort of lean on the fact that you know if if you've got a it's you know you always kind of shrug. One of the classic brush offs in hockey: say, "Yeah, oh, the goalie went on a heater, right? You got to discount these wins because Hudeba played out of his mind." Well, he did for a series. I'd say he played out of his mind for parts of Vegas, but he wasn't playing out of. His, and so you can you can construct a team. To play low-event hockey, when you have good components, if you've got skill in the offense, good goaltending, skill on the backline, you can play low-end hockey, and you're sort of just assuming that over a span of a, of a bunch of games, your good players are going to con- you're, you're going to convert on a higher ch- percentage of your opportunities which balances, you know, you've got good players getting good opportunities, so even though they get fewer of them, you get more goals, right? It's sort of the, the philosophy. It's a, a chance for Joe Pavelski is different than a chance for Jason Dickinson. He, right. in theory, needs fewer to be just as effective. And I think what the problem the stars are running into right now is all of the guys that they need to convert are limited, right? You know, Sagan's not playing at all, right? He hasn't played yet. Um, Radulov rejoin the lineup not coincidentally in, in their win as, as our uh, wonderful producer kt mentions dallas is six two and one with rads in the lineup so he's back and all of a sudden they win heinz has been in and out Gurianov has been mired in a slump so the guys right. and so i think one of the challenges this team has had is they're still playing that style of hockey and it worked in the playoffs because the guys getting hurt were the were the low low skill is be very very careful saying this is against the spectrum of nhl players who are the best at what they do in the entire world but relative to an nhl roster all of the guys that got hurt in the postseason last year were the bottom six guys that weren't necessarily going to dink with what the offense was doing this year it's the exact opposite and so i think a lot of the reason dallas has been such a high a lot of the reasons they're they're having, I think they've they've played in like 11 one goal games and they've lost like seven of them or some absurd number like that. And I think it's because they're using a system that's reliant on over perform at over conversion, and they just don't have the talent to do that right now. And I think that the adjustment is. I, I almost wonder if this is a team that needs to go a little bit more fire wagon, right? Can, kind of go volume instead of, go, you know, the 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 old quantity as a quality all of its own, right? And maybe well, and that's this, what happened
1: yeah. in the first four games of the season too, right? Like they were like out shooting, they were hammering the net in those first four games and that's how they had those high scoring games was they just wouldn't take no for an answer at the doorstep of the net, right? Yep. That's that's how you had that happen of if they just it was like they were mad after the Stanley Cup final, which like they were clearly yeah. um, and they they wanted to prove that they had belonged there. And now that they've lost a few pieces, they've kind of receded back into what they know. Unfortunately, what they know involves players like Rajalov and Sagan being Rajalov and Sagan. And with those pieces out, the system fails. Right. And, and that I think goes back to, to my point about like the tactics of they have to do something when those pieces go out, they have to change their style of play. They have to be adaptable to be, you know, you've got all these young guys on the roster that love to shoot, love to score. Like, let's just tell them, take the shot. Like, like, don't, don't set up the cycle, take the shot because then you're going to get those first four games where, the higher amount of shots you take, the more likely chance you have of conversion. And that is going to be a difference maker at the end of the day, especially against weaker teams who crumple as we have watched in this division under pressure from teams like Tampa Bay, who just hammer the net mm-hmm. and get through that, you know, creaky defense, basically. So it it's concerning that, right, they're they're falling back on what they know, which is fine, but what they know doesn't apply in this case anymore and they have to come up with a new solution and so my my thought is fall back on what you know fall back on what you did in the first four games because that's what's going to get you through this stretch where you're missing key pieces from those those bigger players right and it's also it's more fun to watch that kind (laughs) of hockey like the low chance low scoring like yeah it's it's the whole, you know, you're watching the tactics and you're you're deep in the gears of the game and you're you're watching all these little tidbits and it's a really fascinating, like Spock level, fascinating study of hockey. But it is boring as can be like for a fan to watch stuff like that. Like Give me the first four games where, like, like hands in your hair, yelling like, I have no idea what's happening anymore, because it was so fun to watch. Like, that is exciting hockey. And this whole this sport as a whole is exciting. The stars don't play exciting hockey. If they go to what they did the first four games of the season, that is exciting hockey. It gives them more chances, it gives the young guys opportunities, and it takes the pressure off of Rajilov and hints and you know the gap from missing Sagan. And gives them more opportunity to work with. And I I just, Stars, please be exciting. Like, you have the most exciting, like, blackout jersey I have ever seen. Play like it!
0: Well, and and I think, (laughs) to your point, right, the way that Dallas plays, they're in a situation where Rhett Gardner hits a post and that costs them the game. Or, you know, Jake Ottinger has a you know, five minute meltdown against the Florida Panthers. And that costs them a game. You know, they're, they're just in a spot where they, they're playing with very little margin of error. And I think that a lot of it is inflicted by their style. And so it'll be interesting now that Radulov is back. Maybe that, maybe it'll, it'll iron itself out. I mean, I think, you know, as we talk about this lost, lost in the shuffle is Dallas did pick up three points over the weekend. And during that same weekend, Chicago lost two games, So as as heartbreaking, as as much as they didn't make up the ground that I think we wanted them to make up they're they gained
1: some ground,
0: they gained ground, right? They've still got six games in hand on both Columbus and Chicago. So it's, it's, you know, the, the, the cliche, right? They still have to win the games in hand. And then, you know, giving three points to Columbus while taking three points from Columbus isn't going to do that. Um, Ditto trading wins with Chicago, right? But this this if this were a normal season, if we were 40 games from the end, if they had a normal schedule, I think you would look at the past week and say, all right, they're starting to figure this Heinz in and out thing out. And Radulov is getting back and Ottinger's playing well and they're they're accumulating points. Right. They may not be getting all of the points, but they're getting some in a normal season. I think we'd look at the last week and say that was Oh, on the balance, it was successful, right? They took points out of three of the four games they played. They won two of the four games that they played, right? So it's better than nothing. And it's nothing.
1: the start of the upward trend into better territory at that yeah. point.
0: The challenge, of course, is this isn't a regular season and they're going to have to play every other day from here on out. And their next game is is Tampa Bay coming into town. And then they'll get a couple, hopefully get healthy games against the likes of Nashville and Detroit. But you know, there's just, unfortunately there's not a lot of time to practice and build. This is just a, you know, have your banana, get your get your treatment in, and get back out on the ice for the next time. So whether, you know, under the normal, you know, whether they can overcome a bad month, right? Is this a false dawn? Have they figured something out? Are they getting healthy? Who knows, right? Until the next crisis arises, but it's just a tough spot.
1: And it's it's something to worry about too, of playing every other day from now until the middle of May, Guys are going to get injured. They're going to have to shuffle the lineup and be adaptive. And we have not seen adaptive in the last five weeks. Like that, that is not something the stars have shown that they are capable of doing because when the going gets tough, they just stick with what they know and refuse to try to change any of it. And with the schedule built the way it is right now, they're going to have to be flexible. They're going to have to look at the roster and say, okay, if we lose this guy, if we lose this guy, if we lose this guy, what does our style of play look like? What, what do the lines look like? What do we tell the guys for on ice plays? What matters more? Because they are going to have to change and be ready to change all of that. Like they need to be running those things in practice so that if, or when the worst happens and they drop three guys, yeah, if they practice so that if, or when they drop three guys due to injury, they have the systems in place. They know what they're supposed to do. And I. this is a good upward trend that we've seen in the last week. But given the mountain, they still have to scale between now and May 10th. It, it is going to be a very hard mountain to scale. And, you know, this last week makes me cautiously optimistic. But given the scope of what they're facing next... They really need to start proving to themselves, more importantly, but to the rest of us, that they know what they're facing and they're ready for that challenge. And Tampa Bay is going to be a very good test for that tonight to see because they're going to be playing Tampa Bay, who play a very different style of hockey from Chicago, from Columbus. So if they can take this kind of, you know, stumbling like into the right direction. We we got some points. We we think we figured this out. If they can take that and stand firm against Tampa Bay and walk away with you know, a point in overtime loss or you know, the full points. Then we we know we have the answer that they're learning to adapt. They're learning to get flexible ahead of the gauntlet that is staring them down for the next just under 2 months basically.
0: Yeah, it's a gauntlet, and this is it. Would be, it would do the team a world of good to go on one of those ten-game burners that we saw last season and cure a lot of ills. But you know, we'll see, right? right? It's it's every bit as much of, you know, it's 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 going to be Dallas and Chicago for that last spot. I think at this point, you know, Florida, Florida, Carolina, Tampa Bay, they have separated themselves enough from the division that that this is it's going to be a three- way fight if you if you want to include Columbus between Chicago, Columbus, and Dallas for that final spot. And again, i I still believe if you just look at roster talent, even if you account for who's hurt right now, of those three teams, Dallas is the best team. but undoubtedly, they have stumbled and they've proven, you know we'll see. We're gonna have to see we, we'll need to we'll need them to be more playoff Dallas and less October Dallas to see what happens from here
1: yeah here here's hoping the less we see of October Dallas, the better for my blood pressure, for like Twitter takes for well, the I'm, team.
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned blood pressure and Twitter takes. So we're recording this on Tuesday morning. and I have just seen uh, you know following following the tweets, the lovely sea creature, playful Jake Ottinger, is going to be starting his third game in a row in uh, against Tampa Bay on the heels of. Bonus, you know, responding to the decision to play him in the back-to-back with a very terse, it was my decision. Um, And then I I believe his comments this morning were something to the effect of, you know, asking for the reason why it's on injured that, you know, the reason is right in front of him. Um, So there's there's something brewing in the Dallas Stars crease. Uh, What is your level of concern there?
1: I... The decision to play otter in front of Tampa Bay is a bold choice, as far as I'm concerned. It is not the choice I would make because you have the clear, you know, results of Hudobin from the final, of the fact that if it hadn't been for a third of the roster being broken on the ice in front of him, he was going to single-handedly carry the stars to that cup and was one win away from doing it. He was so close to doing it. I mean, he put up some incredible performances, and that's that's the Hudobin we've seen for most of this season. He's, he's had a couple of rough games, especially recently, but look at the schedule. <laughs> I would have put Hudobin in net for tonight's game because he knows what he's getting into. He knows... What to look for from Tampa Bay, and he's used to that pressure. And Ottinger has had a back to back this weekend. Kid is tired. Like anyone would be tired playing that. Like the fact that they played him for both games is still something that shocks me. Like there is a reason you have two goaltenders on a team (laughs) for that reason. So I I am very shocked that Bones is making that choice. Um, Granted, if Ottinger comes out tonight, and puts on a dazzling performance and keeps Tampa Bay mostly or completely off the score sheet. I, I will eat the words of this podcast.
0: Oh, well, let's not get into the trap of making of validating a decision based on its outcome. I think that J- Jay Cuttenshire could come out and win or lose tonight, and that is not necessarily tied to whether or not it was a good position, good situation to put him in. Right. So let's let's break this up into two parts very quickly. So let's for a second just on balance, take the schedule, take the the season, take history out of it. Based on how they've played right now to date in this season, who would you put in that against Tampa Bay?
1: Hudobin, hands down. Really?
0: Yes. Interesting, because I think for me, if it's just based on performance this season, I almost think I'd give Ottinger the edge. He's, you know, Hudobin, his last time out was rough.
1: His last time out was rough, but look at like you said, the rest of the season, right? Like he had a couple of rough games, but aside from that, he's been incredibly dependable and impressive in that net for Dallas and Ottinger. We've talked about this in a previous podcast that every time Ottinger comes in in relief, they win the game. um, Or he doesn't get scored on every time he starts, he gets, Pretty much, except for the one shutout in Florida, he gets scored on. And so if they were to, you know, like pull Hudobin after two periods, put Ottinger in, they, they would have the win locked up. They would have the shutout locked locked up at that point. But I, I just, from what I've seen of Hudobin, I would have put him in and maybe, maybe given it to Ottinger if I was looking at like the last like six games, but looking at the season as a whole. I would give it to Hudobin um, because Ottinger is tired after the back to back. He he he's still in that young goaltender stage of having five minutes of just losing his cool and not being able to get any kind of like footing on the ice. And Hudobin we rarely see that from him. It's no. more he gets left like his blind spot gets left unguarded by the defense. And that's how like suddenly you're down two goals. Whereas Ottinger like that happens too, but the kid also gets flustered, which he's a young goaltender. It's his first season in the NHL. Like that happens. That's totally fine. But that's not the kind of goaltender I would put in net against Tampa Bay in a crucial game, in a crucial stretch, like put him in for the two Detroit games. Cause Detroit are a, tire fire on their jersey. Like, <laughs> come on. Put him in against Detroit and let him continue to build on his process and help him refine that ability to not lose his cool when something goes wrong in front of him. Put Hudobin in against against the big dogs. Put him in against Tampa Bay and hope to heaven that the defense doesn't take another walk in the park tonight.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? So, stats wise, right now, Ottinger started 10 games, Hudobin has started 14. And the, the starts versus appearances muddle it a little bit because appearance hockey, uh, sp- relief hockey tends to be, you know, teams take their foot off the gas. So, Ottinger sits at 210 goals against 917 save percentage. Hudobin sits at 265 goals against 907 save percentage. So, statistically, Ottinger has been a better goalie this year, but. Huh. To your to your point, right? Ottinger gets it's a little bit. Ottinger has a little bit of that relief credit thing working in his favor, so it's it's right. more of a wash than maybe it seems. You know, and it's this a, is, the um,
1: numbers are a lot closer than they actually look.
0: Yeah, you know, counter, you know, then then digging even further, right? The last time we saw Hudobin, he gave up four goals on eight shots. And Dallas got you know kind of run out of the building against Chicago in a game they really had to have. So,
1: ouch. For, yeah, like <laughs> thanks for a, reminding me of that. I had blocked that out.
0: <laughs> I you know from a performance perspective, ignoring the weird back to back. Like from a performance perspective, I would have given Ottinger one of the Columbus games in Tampa Bay, right? Were I making the schedule, give the. I think he has earned a shot at elite competition, and and I don't think it's a I don't think he's earned it even in a sense of, let's see what we have in the kid prospect sense. I think he's earned it in a sense of, in terms of how the goalies are going right now, Ottinger has consistently been able to, at the very least, get the Stars a point, right? Get them into overtime where they've they've lost, I think, five of his first six. But he has been consistently able to get a positive outcome for the Stars.
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas Hudobin's last go-around, Hudobin's been a little bit more up and down this season. And, yeah, you know, he's fair. got, the tr- he's got the track record. So I, I could argue against myself saying, you know, you want the guy that, that faced down Tampa Bay before. And and then you get into the weirdness of like, okay, so if you don't start Hudobin now, that'll, his next opportunity will be on Thursday against Detroit, which is a week between games. So all of a sudden, you know, and in, in in the same interview where he was talking about Ottinger starting today, you know, the team right now is insisting that Hudobin is healthy. So it's not a workload management. I I feel like if it was a workload management issue, they'd they'd put us all out of our misery and just say so, right? right. So it, it's the you know the only explanation for me is that the team believes that Jake Ottinger is the better goaltender right now, and frankly, prop as as is evident by the back to back against Columbus, believes that the situation is you know. Dire enough to start a 22 year old kid three times over the course of four days,
1: right? Yeah, and I, I wonder too part of how much, how much um, age plays into that, right? Because Hudobin is on the very, very tail end of the age range for goaltenders, right? And Ottinger is incredibly young, so he can bounce back a lot faster. He has yeah. the ability to kind of, you know, shoulder three games in four days and not be a puddle on the locker room floor afterwards, whereas Hudobin, like, give the guy some rest, you know, give the guy some ice, let him have a couple of days. Because he he is older, his body just can't bounce back that quickly anymore. Like, there there's no way. Like, if they had done Ottinger, Hudobin, and then Ottinger again tonight, like, that that is completely understandable because then it gives Hudoben a couple of days between games but at this point um giving Ottinger three games in four days is a bold choice but i also worry because young goaltenders can still get injured and that is a lot of games plus two sets of overtime and shootout right in yep. those games that that is a lot of hockey that he has played in f- or will have played in four days and If they decide to ride him for Detroit, that's that's what uh, six, five, six games in a week, basically that that is that then that's running into like his red line territory where they need to cycle who'd open back in. I just I worry that like Bones might have taken a look at the stats and and at. Ottinger's recent performance and come to the conclusion that, yes, he's the better goaltender. He's got the stamina for it. Let's go with it. And I worry that he kind of got blindsided and went, let's ride him without realizing the schedule is a nightmare for anyone, let alone the goaltending. Well,
0: because at so, some point, right, you run into, you know, maybe you think Hudoba needs a couple of days to practice to fix his, you know, fix whatever hit, hiccup game but you also will right. eventually run into the point where like let's say Ottinger plays well against Tampa Bay and he earns the start against Detroit on Thursday so then you've got another back to back heading out and now it's been more than a week Hudobin has you know, there's is, there is a fine line between rest and rust and the the risk that Dallas is running on on the Ottinger side right is running the kid into the ground and if you wear him out if you if you pull Carter Lettin and wear him out then need him later you may not have him right that's a problem exactly and Flip side of that, if you if you ice hood open for too long, you're gonna pull him out. And when you finally need him, he's not gonna be sharpened. You know, it's 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 he's still gonna be that,
1: defrosting.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go, right? So, you know, Jeff Reese has been, you know, they've it's been he's he's been good in the past, right, at, at managing workloads. And and I guess this team has earned, at least in respect to their goaltending, the benefit of the doubt. Um, for who they're putting out there, but it is a strange situation brewing um, right now. And it's, it's a strange situation brewing at a time where Dallas could really use a little bit of, of calm
1: and, and consistency. The one, the one thing that I lament that the league does not do is just changing goaltender in the game. Not because they've let in four shots, four goals on eight shots, right? Like I, I wish that they could do like put, put Ottinger in for tonight, put him in for the first Detroit game and pull him after the second period and get Hudobin that final 20 minutes. If, if all has gone well in the first two periods so that Hudobin can shake the rust off, Ottinger gets to rest for that final 20. And then they can decide based on that, who gets Saturday start, right? That I, I wish that's something that the league would do more is not change the goaltenders as a like punishment or kind of pronouncement on what's happened in the game to that point, but more because they just want to give the goaltenders a chance to both not get rusty. Right. And, and to be... kind of shake up for the other team of like totally new goaltender, right. Totally new, you know, spots and and angles that they have to try to get around. That's something I, I wish the league would do more of.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I would be—that's interesting to me. I would be interested to to see what a goaltender would feel like. Is it harder? Is it harder to play twenty minutes than you know? Like, what's the level of? Because you know, you're sitting on the bench. You can't exactly you know, go into the bullpen and take chess. So would it, what would be the level of difficulty with a player like Anton Hudobin and and having him watch 40 minutes of hockey and then come in that, that seems. And then obviously the way the stars are playing, um, right. <laughs> you, you have to, I guess you assume that they have a lead at that point, making the swap. Right. So I don't know. We'll see. And I definitely want to, you know, I think this week will be very telling in terms of the pecking order uh, in, in the star's crease and then we can get into much much later the looming specter of ben bishop who you know he's he's a month plus out but at some point there will be three right. of them and not two um, however i do want to go ahead and you know we've, we've sort of started the annual tradition of dallas hit to hiccup and the john Klingberg trade rumors have fired up so wanted to get they're your back. T- they're <laughs> back. Where, where do you feel where where are your feels when it comes to Klinger and trade rumors
1: over my victory green body. Are you kidding me, people? Have you seen his statistics? Have you seen his on-ice performance? Like, yeah, okay, dude has a couple of bad games. He he has some off nights, trips over his own skates. Like, everybody else on the defense is doing right now. It's not just him. He's just the most high-profile, visible guy on the blue line and I feel like that's what drives the Twitter takes is like he's the most noticeable so they're going to be like we need to trade him because he's clearly doing something wrong it's like no no look at the entire blue line (laughs) like this is the rant I have been saving all season of just I am that Madeline Kahn gif of flames on the side of my face when people talk about trading Klingberg because he has been a rock for this team. The problem has been who he gets paired with, how much ice time he gets, when they cycle him onto the ice, and if the rest of the blue line is having a bad night, he gets wrapped into that too. Like, it, it's, it's like a hive mind on the blue line of one has a bad night, they all have a bad night, but he, the benefits outweigh the blips in performance and we have seen that statistically over several seasons now and keep in mind John Klingberg is an elite defender and he was a fifth round pick like dude is a diamond in a rough who is now just a full on diamond in a yellow gold setting like come on <laughs> that's that is my mini rant about the twitter takes with trade klingberg my my response is trade him for who? Like who? Who would you take instead? Like w- w- what are you looking to get out of that? Well, Jack you'd Jordan? want to get a player. No. Th- that's
0: the problem, right? Is you want to get a player just like John Klingberg? <laughs> well, it, exactly. the, the the true problem is right. So, the the hockey reason to trade to trade John Klingberg, I think that I think that there are two. Um, I think that there are two mm-hmm. reasonable hockey reasons. The first is if the stars are completely 100% convinced that they've struck gold twice and that Thomas Harley is ready to be a, you know, not just an NHL player, a good, like if you can hand Harley the power play tomorrow, right. Or at the very least, if you can hand Harley, the power play within this season, right. I think that's one of the two acceptable hockey reasons to make the trade. Um, Because if he is just that good, then you could argue that, well, okay, you've got him and you've got Miro and Klingberg. Klingberg, the, the reason the rumors, right? Klingberg is Dallas' best trade asset. He has a fantastic contract. He's got term after this year. He's playing great. Literally every team in the league would benefit from having John Klingberg in the lineup. And if he were a free agent tomorrow, he would make a little bit more than what, 4.2 million, whatever he's he's capped at. Right. So a, as far as an asset goes, he is he is just a a thirst trap for general managers. Like he's just a guy. So I'm never
1: unhearing that thanks.
0: <laughs> Bring in the heat. Um so so from a hockey reason, if you think Harley is ready to be, you know, even ninety percent of John Glingberg, then okay, you can construct a defense with that with that player, Miro jamie alexiak and then you know whatever lindell you you can you can sort of squint and say all right if i can if i can do that but i mean let's not get ahead of how harley has played less than 20 professional games like that seems absurd and And, you know uh,
1: and if he is going to be on the same caliber as john klingberg why not both in the terms of you know both both is good in the terms of of twitter gifts like why not have both of them, like, like as, you know, KT is pointing out, you need Batman and Bruce Lee if you have them. Like, come on.
0: Think about I, I how think,
1: powered that blue line would be.
0: But I think what you're saying is you'd have Miro with with two, I agree. With three, I do think you can make a case. You, you need, you know, Batman and Bruce Lee, fine. But you don't necessarily need Batman, Bruce Lee, and Steven Seagal, right? So <laughs>
1: if,
0: if, if you're fair trying Fair point, fair to, point. If, <laughs> if Harley really is that good and you call him up and you still have Klingberg and Miro, there are some issues distributing it. Like that's not necessarily where you want, especially in a cap league, especially in a flat cap yeah. league. That's not necessarily how you want to distribute your assets because there are only, uh, if there's a finite number of minutes to go around and if Klingberg is getting 25 and Miro is getting 25, you can't necessarily also give Harley 25 right. And have it work. Right. So that
1: is a fair point.
0: And, and what does it
1: tell you about this season and how quiet Miro has been on the ice that I forgot for a very, very small Twitter. Don't come after me for this for a very small hot second that we had Miro on the blue line. <laughs> the last he, few games have been rough.
0: <laughs> he'll, he'll figure it out. And then, you know, Springberg, I think the, the only other hockey reason that I, that is acceptable, it's not acceptable, but the only other defensible hockey reason is if you were going to blow the thing up, Like, truly blow the thing up. Start over. (laughs) But you run into problems there because you can't blow up a team that has the dollars and term committed to Ben, Alexiak, and Bishop that it has. Right? Like, this is... Even if you wanted to blow up the Dallas Stars, I don't think you want to, but even if you decided that the end had come, you're still a season, if not two seasons, away from being in a position to hit that reset button. So... Mm -hmm. So you know the other hockey, area, like even if you were going to do that, that's an off-season trade. That's not something mm-hmm. that you do at, at the at the trade deadline, because you're not getting anything back from Miro. Like even even in the, the ideal, you get you get a you know the the whole like you get a you get let's just dream for a second, you get multiple first rounders and an NH uh, you know or the classic pick prospect NHL player, right? You're not the guys that you get. Even if you get a first rounder and you you make the exact right decision, right? Right. You're not going to get that player into your lineup before you know Ben is three years older, Miro is well into his next contract, you know Pavelski, Radulov are long gone. Like the the help you're going to get from just the way that this core is on the age distribution chart, like you can't blow it up right now. And not mm-hmm. just from a, the team is too good to blow up, which I believe, but even if the team wasn't, y- you can't blow this team up yet. They're just not...
1: It's not possible. It's just not possible.
0: Yeah. You So, so you, which gets into the scary ones of like the reasons you'd move him, in my opinion, fall to if he's telling you behind the scenes that he's tired of it and wants out, then I guess mm-hmm. you have to. And then, you know, COVID, right, has had a business impact and the there's a financial question like... They're going to have to. Pay, they're going to pay Miro, and you know I reject cap arguments. I think that Nil has done a fantastic job of managing when contracts he's, expire. He's yeah, a genius. he's been a
1: wizard at at the cap contract situation. Like he he's very much figured out how to balance all of these different contracts and terms. With what the players deserve and and want, he he very much has figured that out, and my hat is off to him because looking at cap friendly for the stars sometimes is
0: terrifying. Well, it is, until you see the expiration days, right? But but so the the non hockey reasons that make sense to move Klingberg are if you've gotten sub signal off the ice that he's not signing for less than twelve million dollars, right? I, I you know I'm, I, but which you it's insane and would destroy the cat but so if if you're getting signal that he's not going to be reasonable if you're getting signal that he doesn't want to be in dallas any longer and and i i'm not aware of either of those things by the way baseless speculate but just in terms of reasons those are two reasons that might provoke moving him and the other being if on a real dollars level if the team doesn't have the financial wherewithal with covid's impact to carry ben and sagan and bishop and Miro, and Klingberg, well, Ooh. guess what, right? Amongst that group, you're choosing between Miro and Klingberg, and that's and it's, the choice. It's an easy
1: choice at that point, right? Yeah. Because you, you would keep the younger guy.
0: And even if they were the same age, you'd probably keep Miro. He's fantastic. He does everything. Whereas Klingberg yeah. is elite, and I will go to the wall for Klingberg, he gives you less on aggregate than Miro.
1: Exactly.
0: I would also argue for this team, He give, what he gives you is more valuable right now because this team is – the the downside to trading – which is why I call it a blow-up trade. To trade Klingberg in anything other than a blow-it-up situation, you would have to get back talent. You basically have to get back Klingberg, right? Like you're moving right. the team's most creative asset. Okay, where, where in this if, – if Harley's ready, like where in this system are you going to replicate what John Klingberg gives you? which means moving him yeah. can only be interpreted as a well not going to work this year we'll see what happens later
1: and and it's also the you know trade him for what like who 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 is available on the market that even comes close to equaling him and you know this this might be the like the Tampa Bay side of my brain answering this but it's like the only one i could think of that like would would make a difference on the blue line would be Hetman. and there's no way right there, yeah. there's no way but that that just like that's the level of conversation that you need to have if you're looking at trading klingberg is the elite defenseman in the league and they're all locked up on long-term contracts right now and no one is going to move because of COVID COVID is very much like not just for like the front office it's for the players too the players are like i've got a good contract i've got maybe two years left before i have to do an extension I'm going to stay put. I'll take this dollar amount. I'll stay put because heaven only knows where we're going to be in 12 months, let alone 18. We could be back to normal by then. We could still be dealing with like financial fallout in the league from COVID. So
0: yeah, and trying to
1: trade him, you're, it, it, it is like the, like the magic bean situation of what are you going to get in return that makes it worth that trade? And well, before he it, got
0: hurt, my answer to that would be Jack Eichel. If, if you really, <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> I t- that's, no. that's one of the few <laughs> trades that I would consider, I would, I, I mean, it, I don't know why Buffalo would do that, frankly. <laughs>
1: no, I know why they would do that, because they want John Klingberg.
0: <laughs> well, I just mean where they are in their competitive cycle. John Klingberg, uh, even even as a young, he's what, 26, 28, something like that, he would not be, he would be out of his prime by the time that team competes again so from buffalo's perspective if they were competitive i just mean the type of i was pointing out eichel because he is the type of asset that you would have to get back in a non-rebuilding klingberg trade for that trade to be in any way defensible for the stars unless you're giving up and just accruing assets you would need to get a player of that stature back because frankly that's the caliber of A player when you factor in term when you factor in performance when you factor in cap hit, when you wrap all of that together like let's be very realistic about the quality of a player john cleanberries he is an eichel level asset on the market because find me another elite offensive defenseman that can that can handle business in his own zone on a sub five million dollar cap hit that could get you conceivably two playoff runs right like that is a that is a flipping unicorn in the modern day NHL and anything less than an Eichel return is insane.
1: As long as nil doesn't fall into the trap that some of the East coast GMs have of like getting all starry eyed over Jack Johnson for no reason at all. Like as long as like he doesn't go for Jack Johnson, I could like, I could, I could swallow the Eichel trade given some incentive. Like I, I could, I, I could handle that. If, Nil for some reason jumps for Jack Johnson. That's that's when I'm sitting here just going, why? (laughs) Like just why?
0: Well, if any any trade with anything attached to it that brings Jack Johnson to a team should be a fireable offense at this stage. He is he is he is garbage. Exactly. (laughs) On the ice. I'm sure he's a great person. Off no idea, but as as far as it anyways. Hopefully, this is all a worthless discussion because they're not going to be crazy enough to move their arguably best player this season on a great deal. But we'll see. Quick, can and
1: knock on wood for us, please.
0: There we go. And then we'll see as well what happens tonight against Tampa Bay. Any, uh, any closing thoughts, Logan?
1: Um, I, I swear the Tampa Bay Dallas games are designed specifically to drive me into more gray hair before I turn thirty. Like, <laughs> just. It's so fun and stressful watching these games and because I never know what I'm going to get. Right. Like I never know if I'm going to get the Jekyll and Hyde stars or the like smack Colorado around in the playoff stars. Like with Tampa Bay, I know what I'm getting and they are mad after losing yesterday. So tonight's going to be a good game. I'm very excited to watch this one
0: hopefully the stars are up for it and hopefully this is you know where we've got uh we've got to watch them play tampa tonight and then it's detroit and nashville before another florida stretch so hopefully this team is on the upward trajectory and and we'll see what we'll see what happens in the crease and thanks again logan and uh we'll talk we'll talk on the other side of this mess
1: absolutely